We welcome you to our Bible class this evening and invite your attention back into the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 10. For those who were ready to brave the weather tonight, we have something to offer. We have warmth in the building and warmth from the people and wisdom in the book. That's a good combination. As we navigate life here on earth, Solomon calls it under the sun, I believe there may be times of temptation when we may think that we can indulge in a little wrong or we can play around with a little worldliness, a little error, just a little folly. It is tempting sometimes for people to think in those terms and say to themselves, just a little couldn't hurt much. No wholesale apostasy or indulgence in wickedness, but in certain situations we reason maybe just a little. That kind of thinking is very directly addressed right at the top of our study tonight in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. We'll need to pay attention to that in Ecclesiastes chapter 10. I may have said 7, 10. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, the portrait of a fool, the chapter might be called. We'll get into that right after prayer. Heavenly Father, to Thee we express our praise and thanksgiving, and to Thee our reverence and love. For Jesus we are thankful, and for Thy Word to inform and motivate us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 10 Let's listen to verses 1 through 4. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone, that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. In Ecclesiastes chapter 10, we have a combination of proverbial statements, proverbs, and imagery that provides for us the portrait of a fool. And it all begins here. In the time of Solomon and the other kings of Israel, that time in culture, perfume and various oils and ointments were common. And in some locations and marketplaces, they actually became commodities or means of exchange. They were so valuable. In manufacturing a perfume, similar to a pharmaceutical lab today, great care was taken to avoid even a little contamination. It was like uh, a medicine compounding process. You had to get it exactly right. Of course, they didn't have the kind of high-tech computer labs that we have today, but within the methods that they had in ancient times, they were as cautious as they could possibly be to avoid even minute contamination. 
the ingredients in perfume must be held in a precise and very delicate balance. They cannot be compromised. One insect, one dead fly in the ointment, oil or perfume, would result in dismissing any sweet fragrance that was intended. It would become a stench. And so Solomon says from that imagery, a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Now, here's what we need to get from that. It only takes a little. Some of the key concepts conveyed in this, therefore, are caution, urgency, take this seriously, know that just a little folly outweighs wisdom. So, we need to reject any thought that a little compromise will be okay. A little sin, a little dabbling with worldliness and wickedness will be alright. A little white lie, just a few drinks and a little intoxication, or internet pornography in just small amounts, or a little false teaching, small amounts of animosity or prejudice or wrath. That's bad thinking. It's bad thinking. It only takes a little. Once we release our moral constraint for a little, we've set ourselves on a pathway that could open us to greater and greater wickedness and take us away from God. So, no. Strive toward perfection and refuse any compromise or tolerance of sin. Christians must strive to be diligent about every aspect of their obedient response to God. Just a little cannot be allowed or justified. Our determination must be, I will have no part in any sin or compromise. One more thing. It takes far less effort to ruin something than it does to create it. A visibly successful and lucrative career can be ruined by five minutes of indiscretion. Examples in the news lately are numerous. A visibly successful and lucrative career can be ruined by just a few minutes of indiscretion. Other illustrations may come to mind. An apparently great marriage that may have lasted over years can be brought into crisis by one evening of adultery. One person who is out of sorts with God can discourage and contaminate a church of hundreds of members. Ecclesiastes 9.18 said to us already from Solomon, One sinner destroys much Good. So beware of the fly in the ointment. Anything else? Verse 2. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Now, here's what we need to do immediately to avoid any modern distraction. This is not Solomon writing about modern American politics. 
the right-left political spectrum that we are familiar with had no existence or reality in the time of Solomon. So Solomon's not commenting on things that today are associated with politics and the right and the left. So we need to dismiss any connection with that. This is simply about the wide difference in direction between the wise man and the fool. Wisdom and folly are opposites. They're poles apart. That's what this is about. Solomon simply wants us to know how different wisdom and folly is. They're poles apart. The wise man is moving in one direction and the fool is moving in the other direction. It is true that in Hebrew thought, right had preference over left, but Solomon still is not writing about politics. He's writing about moral issues and he's distinguishing between the direction of the wise and the direction of the fool. Much of what we're going to study in chapter 10 is a portrait of the fool. I believe depending upon what translation you have, seven, eight, maybe nine times in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, the word fool or folly is found. So Solomon is providing us with a portrait of that. And by the way, when you look at the fool in the book of Proverbs and in Ecclesiastes, never think of that, never think of that as below average intelligence. Never think of that as the low end of the IQ scale. There may be scholars who are walking away from God morally and spiritually. They are fools. They may be celebrated as very wise and smart in some field of study that they've engaged in. But this is not about IQ or mentally slow or anything like that. This has to do with one's direction in life. This is about morals. The most famous fool in the Bible would be, according to Psalm 14.1, the fool who says in his heart, what? There is no God. Well, there are people with very high IQs in terms of the way men measure intelligence and may have much learning in some scholarly field, but they say there is no God. So this is about the moral fool we're going to learn about in our study tonight. Verse 3, even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. I do not picture a man walking around and saying, hey, did you know I'm a fool? Hey, I don't know who you are, but I just want you to be aware I'm a fool. I don't picture that here. What I see is that by his behavior, he conveys to everybody. He tells everybody, not necessarily with words, I'm a fool, or a name tag, Warren Berkeley, I'm a fool. No. By his behavior, he doesn't need to wear a name tag do you know people who just don't have good direction in life and it's obvious? All of us do. 
who the fools are is exceedingly clear if we've been trained in wisdom from God. Who the fools are is exceedingly clear if we've been trained in wisdom from God. The fool, by his behavior, tells everybody that he or she is a fool. So, that's the idea there. They don't need name tags. They tell who they are by their conduct. Verse 4. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. Here is something we talk about from time to time in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and in the New Testament. One of the essential functions of God's Word working in us ought to be self-control. And we may use the word composure. We've mentioned before in Ecclesiastes, caution. And now we can add this word composure. That should be at work in the character of everybody who is drinking from the fountain of God's wisdom. We have noted this on many occasions through Ecclesiastes, and we see it also in Proverbs, self-discipline, self-control, composure. And in this particular proverb or imagery, if someone is in power and they have something against you, there's some dispute or something, don't just immediately fight back out of some foolish defense impulse that you haven't thought through. Discipline, calmness, composure. We need to know that calmness will lay great offenses to rest. So don't just walk out and immediately get mad in circumstances like Solomon describes. Maintain composure, calmness, and that will lay great offenses to rest. It is like Solomon is saying in this particular proverb and imagery, calm down, breathe, don't quit and run and fly off the handle, count to ten. He's giving us wisdom about life here under the sun. And he's giving that to us in proverbial format that has mixed into it a variety of images. So, for example, in 10.1, the dead fly in the perfume or the ointment, that is a proverb that has built into it imagery that conveys to us that a little folly can get us into huge trouble. Solomon is teaching us well about how to navigate life under the sun. Questions or comments? I'm going to take us from 5 down to 10 or 7. The number's just not flowing tonight. Ecclesiastes 10, 5 to 7. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich set in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. One main idea 
one main idea. What we may expect is not what we always see. Sometimes foolish people rise to very high places. That certainly happened in Solomon's time. And after Solomon's time, when you get into the era of the kings of the southern and northern kingdom, you see that often. Sometimes the rich sit in a low place. Solomon saw slaves on horses while princes were walking. So there's one main idea here. As we navigate life under the sun, if we build up in our minds all of these expectations, this is the way this is going to be, and this is how this will turn out, we're liable to be surprised because things do not always turn out as we might imagine. There are anomalies and enigmas all around us here on earth under the sun, and we need to be aware of that. We need to be aware of that. 8 through 10. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. So I took verse 11 and wrapped that into this. Solomon describes here several situations, common images, in which a great amount of caution is needed. And these are physical illustrations with spiritual and moral lessons in them. All right, as we go through this, these are physical illustrations common in the workplace or out on the farm, but these have spiritual and moral lessons. So let's go through them, and then we'll plug in the moral lessons that are conveyed. The man who digs a pit faces many dangers. Now, if you do something dangerous, you ought to think about it beforehand and take cautions. From time to time, you'll hear about this sort of thing in the news. There is a ditch or a trench that was being put in somewhere at a construction site or along a road or an easement, and a worker was trapped, and the dirt caves in, and they put a ladder down to him, or they use various emergency measures to reach him. That's an example. It's an illustration of a task which requires great caution. The man who breaks down a hedge must watch for dangers that lie hidden in or under the hedge or the wall like a snake. Here's another case where you have a physical task that requires caution. Remember back when I was going deer hunting, you always check the blind before you get in it because more than once a hunter has found something in the blind that he wasn't after. So caution is the idea. Then there's a man removing stones that might injure himself, maybe picking up too, too much weight or causing a rock to slide that might hurt him. Then there's the man chopping wood who must be careful not to hurt himself. Nowadays, 
uh, when you buy an axe or a chainsaw, they're going to give you a sheet of paper. And it's going to have all kinds of safety instructions on it, like wearing protective eyewear. So this is all about caution. It is about safety. It's about thinking before you act. The wise person does that. It is, it is not enough to just have a task and just jump right into the task without some thought. In fact, Jesus spoke to this. Jesus said, what man building a tower or going into battle will not first set down and count the cost? Planning, caution, that's the idea. Solomon saw many in his lifetime who engaged in some job or task without the necessary caution. So, avoid the perils of your own work. Every occupation, every task, every application of energy is accompanied by some sort of danger. Be aware of that. The wise person takes risk into account. Not enough to have energy and skill. You better have wisdom and caution and planning before the task. Sharpen your tools. Look at the other rocks that may be in the place. Be careful about snakes. And the tree has to fall somewhere. Now, sounds almost like I'm reading to you from an OSHA manual. You ever thought about that? This text sounds like you're attending an OSHA conference. What is intended is, we take these illustrations from the physical world and we apply them to life, spiritually and morally. So we're back to that word, caution, planning, composure. So in my relationships, I may never go out at this age in my life and try to move a big rock. But in relationships, in responding to events, in resisting temptation, in making choices and judgments and decisions, don't be impulsive. Apply thoughtful preparation and be careful. And then in verse 11, Solomon says that when we fail to use good judgment about things, we're like an enchanter who tries to handle the snake without first enchanting the animal. Or a babbler, somebody who talks and talks with no restraint and no caution. So this passage warns us against impulse, reckless action, where we jump into something quickly without thought and caution and we get ourselves into trouble. Now, it's not OSHA. It's life. It is your spiritual and moral relationship with God and people that you need to take into account. Think about some of the ways this might apply. Think about some things that people may be tempted to do that could cause great harm, and the problem is they didn't give enough thought to it before they started. Marriage. Career decisions, use of your money, entertainment, church affiliation. The list is just endless. 
of things we may be tempted to do without good thought where caution ought to be present. That's the idea. He who digs a pit will fall into it and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. And then he goes on to say in verse 12, The words of a wise man's mouth win favor, but the lips of the fool consume him. Let's take that part of it. Verse 12 and following set up a contrast. And the contrast is taking us back to the wise man who's walking in the right direction and the fool who's walking opposite. And here it has to do with one's verbal life. The wise man's mouth and the lips of a fool. Solomon tells us something we've already learned in life by observation. The more a fool talks, the more obvious it is to the listeners, if they're guided by wisdom, that he is a fool. Have you ever been around somebody who just loves to talk excessively? They never seem to find a good place to stop. And perhaps without a lot of mental processing before their tongue is engaged. And they never listen. They never give you an opportunity to respond. They just talk. And if they ever stop long enough for you to say anything, it doesn't seem to matter what you say because they don't listen to you. That's the fool Solomon describes in this passage. Solomon says there are these fools you encounter in life, and the more they talk, the more evidence they're providing that they're a fool. Now, I think the point is, we need to know this about other people. But there's another point. We need to guard against this in ourselves. Very easy to come to a passage like this and say yes, and just make a list in your mind of the people you know who babble on and on and on, and who give evidence that they're foolish. Very easy for us to make a list of those. Well, Solomon wants us to know that there are people like this, but there's something else I think he wants us to know. We need to guard against this foolishness ourselves. And please remember that the fool in Scripture is not just the clown the goofy or stupid fellow, the common picture you would paint of a fool, he may be all of those, but his defining characteristic is he refuses to listen to God and do God's will and be directed in all of his thoughts by God. And the more he talks, the more he discredits himself and gives evidence of his lack of wisdom. I ran across this when I was doing some other reading. Think before you act is what we've been talking about. Sam Rayburn, Texans know who he is. He said one time, Among my most prized possessions 
are words that I've never spoken. Pretty good, isn't it? Among my most prized possessions are words that I've never spoken. But long before Sam Rayburn said that, James said it in James chapter 1 in verse 19. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. That's the wisdom from God through James and Solomon for us to use in navigating life. Questions or comments? Someday, I'm going to prepare a sermon, and the title is going to be The Benefits of Silence. And I'm tempted to announce that topic. Just get up and say, welcome to Laurel Heights, glad you're here. The Benefits of Silence. And then just sit down and wait 20 minutes for the invitation song. Wonder if that would make an impression. I don't know. Probably won't do that. But Thinking about it might help us focus on what Solomon is talking about. If you keep your mouth shut, there is zero risk of showing yourself to be a fool. 12 to 15. Let me read that. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words. There's your excess. Verbal excess. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him. The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. <laughs> like a guy just wandering out in the woods somewhere talking excessively and not making any sense. And if he runs into anybody, they immediately know he's a fool. Some of this just almost humorous. Questions or comments? You're silent. 16 to 20. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child. And your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility and your princes feast at the proper time. For strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth the roof sinks in. And through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life. And money answers everything. Solomon is quoting what some of these fools say. Even in your thoughts do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. This may be one of the funniest chapters in the Bible. Solomon returns to a subject that he keeps coming back to, all through Ecclesiastes, and that is the subject of men who govern. And Solomon wants us to know the fact that men are appointed or elected to positions where they govern does not mean they're qualified. And he addresses this sometimes through pronouncing a woe, woe unto him who just is living his life eating, drinking, and being merry, and not really governing. So, 
Coping with a bad king is what this might be called. It's especially tough when a leader of a people is not qualified and immature and he's distracted by his own pursuit of pleasure. Some people who hold power do not use their power for the people. They use their power for themselves to become engaged in their own excesses of food and drink and entertainment. The leaders described here do not eat for nourishment. So they can be healthy and active in serving the people. They eat for appetite. They indulge appetite and get drunk. And Solomon simply says, this is bad. And he gives a comparison. Comparison almost takes us back to Osha. Because it's a comparison that concerns itself with the absence of maintenance. If you don't maintain a nation, if you don't maintain a community, a neighborhood, a house, if you don't maintain it, it's like not taking care of your house and through laziness, the roof leaks and everything falls apart. Picture a man sitting in his lazy boy recliner, drinking beer, yelling at his family to shut up so he can watch the ball game, and the house is literally falling apart around him. The roof is about to collapse. The plumbing is in need of repair. What's he doing? He is indulging his appetite. Solomon gives us that picture in verse 18. And the context is rulers and leaders who don't do their job but indulge their appetites. These leaders see bread and drink as the stuff that feeds their appetite rather than seeing food as nourishment for the body that God gave them to have energy to serve the people they were appointed to serve. And again, while we ought to recognize that evil, we should also avoid the appetite indulgence that is described in the text, 16 through 20. Well, there you have what might be called one of the funniest chapters in the Bible. Because of the imagery, the portrait of the fool, the pictures that it will conjure up in our minds, but it's serious business to be moving away from God and away from wisdom. I've got some wrap-ups, but uh, let me give you an opportunity, questions or comments. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Read it again when you get home. Really good reading. Wrap-ups. Back to something I said earlier. Solomon gives us a reality check when he says it takes far less effort to ruin something than it does to create it. It takes far less effort to ruin something than it does to create it. Just a fly in the ointment, the perfume, and you have to throw it out. I looked at some pictures the other day when I was thinking about this of how perfume is made. Most perfume factories are in France and Italy. That's your trivia for tonight. They're made in laboratories. 
And people who come in and do the mixing and the work with the chemicals are suited up in what almost looks like a hazmat suit. You don't want any little part of an insect or anything to contaminate the perfume or it will not smell as it is advertised to smell. It takes far less effort to ruin something than it does to create it. Number two, effort and energy is not wrong, but stop and think and pray before impulsively acting. Solomon in that OSHA type imagery he gives us doesn't say, don't move a rock, don't cut the bush down, don't deal with the timber. Solomon says, similar to what Jesus said, count the cost. Be cautious and plan out your work. And what we've, what we've been called upon to do in the text is apply that imagery to spiritual and moral considerations. Think before you act. Solomon is writing here against impulse that can produce damage. Impulse that can produce damage. Solomon has given us many of the characteristics of the fool. And what he's doing is telling us not to be the fool. You can just go through and make a list. You can take Ecclesiastes and then you can bring in Proverbs and you can make a list of the characteristics or traits of the moral fool. Lazy, <clears throat> ill-tempered, morally blind, refuses to take advice, a life not pleasing to God, directionally challenged, moving away from wisdom. That in chapter 10 verse 2 is sometimes called an antithetical proverb, which basically says wisdom's over here. So be careful you're not moving in this direction because you're not going to get over there by going in this direction. It's an antithetical proverb. So more and more in Ecclesiastes and in Proverbs, we become acquainted with the moral fool who is moving away from God in the wrong direction. And uh, we don't want to be that person. Final comments. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Read that again when you get home and come back Sunday and we'll talk about casting your bread on the waters. What? Have to come back Sunday. Casting your bread on the waters. Ecclesiastes 10. Thank you. Yes.